My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Pain during or after sex. Chances are you have experienced it at some point. Everything from vaginal dryness or skimping on pre-penetration play to injuries, infections, shame, anxiety, and conditions like vulvodynia and endometriosis can all contribute. The good news is most of these issues are very, very treatable. They are also 100% worthy of addressing. Sexual issues are not frivolous. They're not these little matters. They're actually really important. They are quality of life issues. And as you'll hear more about today, they are equality issues. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so stoked to be here to explore these important subjects with a fabulous expert. Later in the show, you'll hear from Dr. Megan Fleming. She has thoughts for a listener who's been experiencing vaginal pain around intercourse ever since having a baby. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for monthly extras at augustmclaughlin.com. If you'd like to stay in my loop, you get extras like girl boner event news, behind the scenes fun, learn about my book that's coming up soon, and get special offers. While you're there, be sure to click the books tab to learn about my forthcoming girl boner book, which you can now pre-order on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. I'm so, so, so excited. I am now so pleased to welcome Estrella Jaramillo. She is the founder of BWOM. She is a passionate women's health and well-being advocate and aims to eradicate the anxiety women suffer when it comes to their bodies and their intimate and sexual health, removing the stigma and the taboos around them. Estrella grew up in Spain, then moved to Germany, and is now the co-founder in charge of the American market for BWOM, a digital coach for women's health. And a quick note that when we're talking about women today, we're primarily talking about with people with vulvas, although pain can affect people of any genitalia. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Hi, August. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to hear a bit about your personal journey from early on. What do you remember learning about sex and sexuality when you were a kid? Uh, Not much. (laughs) I think that our generation has a common experience when it comes to that, unless you were uh, raised in a family that was you know, very open about sexuality. But uh, the reality is that, you know, growing up, um, the first sexual health class you ever encounter was that class when you were nine years old and most girls were close to getting their periods and they came in for an hour and it was a whole drama where they invited all the boys to leave and some people walked into the classroom and they just told us about the period and what products we had to use. And that was pretty much it. Um, that was all the sexual health and intimate health education I ever got in school or high school. That was it. And do you remember what you felt when you heard that? Because for me, I remember when I went into sex ed and we ended up learning about menstruation, it was kind of horrifying to me. I was like, because we learned a little bit about some potential good things that could happen for guys. And I thought, this is so unfair. Like, what what good thing can, can happen? 
No, I totally understand that. For us, um, my, in my experience, I, we literally did not get into discussing sexual health or sexuality at all. And I did not become truly aware of the implications of that until some years ago, being more mature. You just grow up learning things through through friends, through like locker room talk, through movies. That is the reality that we're raising our young generations in. And I don't think that's to the benefit of anyone, specifically the women, because we don't we don't get to learn about our bodies, how to make the most of them, how to enjoy ourselves, how to that's all a taboo. Nobody talks about it. Nobody you as a woman even you're not supposed to really seek pleasure. It's it's a it's it's a reproductive function period. Uh sex is there. That was that was what I heard. It's sex is there to make babies. Um, and there's so much more to it. And you're practically on your own trying to figure it out. So it generates a lot of anxiety. And I think, too, when we hear that it's only for procreation, especially personally as somebody who has never really wanted to have children, that was a really confusing message to me because I had these desires. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, but then you have to ha- – because people would ask me frequently when I was a kid, what are you going to name your kids when you grow up? Mm. It wasn't like, do you want children? No, it's not even an option, right? <laughs> right. It's so true. So how did these messages affect you very early on, like in your very early adulthood, right out of high school? Um, I think that it's just um, – define the way that I relate to my sexuality throughout my entire life. And that is something, interestingly, that I didn't even become truly aware of until I until I started working on BWOM and I launched it. And through the work that I do now and all the experiences that I hear from other women and their suffering and what they're going through in silence without feeling like they can share it with other people and and just being exposed to other many female entrepreneurs who are, you know, building products and services for female intimate health and for female pleasure. And the word was there. And I was like, wow, this is a whole new world. Wait, why Why did I learn? What were the messages? And then I thought about all of this that we were talking before. And I realized that even I, you know, being a modern, forward-thinking woman that has traveled around, I had a lot of biases regarding my own sexuality, too, that there were a lot of aspects of it that I was not, I never even felt allowed to explore. I think that we've been grown in a, in a society where um, there's just no open door for us to explore different ways of receiving pleasure, of seeking it, of communicating about it. It's just this big elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. You're supposed to not think about it. It's it's bad unless it's within the context of a partnership in a marriage. And that's not the reality that people are living in anymore. And we, we should be, you know, freer to, to talk about, to explore without it defining your worth, which is, you know, another thing that we were discussing before, how sexuality and specifically modesty has been traditionally tied to a woman's worth and that has prohibited us from exploring um, certain sexual avenues. Yes, that's exactly why my approach is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Uh-huh. It's <laughs> it's kind of a joke in some ways because what I'm saying is you can be good and sexual, yes. which is like a very obvious thing it should be. But when we learn that you can't be a good person, like your value is tied into whether you have sex, how much you have, mm-hmm. the ways that you approach it, how, how many partners. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So 
you mentioned that it was learning about this kind of work in this arena that opened your eyes. Was mm-hmm. there a specific instance where you were exposed to this information and you had that kind of aha epiphany? It was definitely an accumulation of, but I remember it was last year. Um, I was in New York. As you know, I'm I'm based out of New York City. And I was at a, an event um, put together by this uh, group of founders that we've gathered and it's called the Women of Sex Tech and, and we're, you know, a big group of female founders that um, build business, businesses specifically for for women um, to explore their sexuality and, you know, hearing all their stories, where they came from, why they build the businesses they build. And I always felt very attracted to, you know, I was very female empowerment and I always uh, fought for the right of women to explore the sexuality. And I never really did not. I was like, what is it in me that makes me so passionate about this? And it was hearing about all of their cases when I realized I was like, oh, my God, there's so many other experiences and ways to experiment with your sexuality that I have never allowed myself to explore because I am judging myself. Could you share an example of what one of those It was specifically a company that does products for women who are into kink sex. Ah. And I had never even even considered whether I liked it. Why? Because it was not a conversation. You were not supposed to like it. And I was like, wait, they seem to be pretty happy with this. Have I ever considered whether I'm into this? Or am I just blocking even the thought or the desire because... That is not what a good girl does. Those questions are so important, I think, to ask ourselves because until we have an experience where we start to wonder and we go, wait a minute, Mm. we have been basically letting culture, these other forces fill in these answers for us. Mm -hmm. So we might not know. One for me was not allowing myself to fantasize. Oh, yeah. And I remember I was in New York City. Mm -hmm. I was living there at the time and uh, Allie McBeal was on. Mm -hmm. And there is this scene where she's in a car wash and the man in the car wash who, who works at this place, they lock eyes together and it is like lust explosion. <laughs> and I could not stop thinking about it. It was mm. so crazy and it felt so, quote, naughty, you yeah, know, like yeah. I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Why am I sweating all the time? And because I just had absorbed this idea that you cannot think about uh-huh. like you had to be thinking about your pre-husband or your husband. Yes. <laughs> I thought I was progressive because I was thinking about pre-husbands. Like uh-huh. I would have sex with a guy because I would tell myself, oh, we're going to get married. Yes. I thought that was pretty forward. We are serious. And this is a frame of thought where I have been educated into feeling comfortable exploring sex. But if he's not even like if I'm not even considering him as a husband material, why would I have sex with him? See, you, we constantly just have to justify for ourselves because we are judging ourselves. We've been raised to judge ourselves if we don't behave in the way that we're supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So tell us in a nutshell, mm-hmm. what is BWAM for anyone who's not familiar? So BWAM is a digital coach for women's intimate and sexual health. We provide users with a test, then an evaluation, and then we offer them personalized care plans to address the issues that they need to work on. So if I take a test and I'm a new mom and I gave birth five months ago and I'm experiencing some incontinence and sexual pain, you would get a four-week plan specifically addresses those symptoms. And they include pelvic floor and core exercises, educational articles, a symptom tracker. So a lot of contents that are going to help you guide you through the symptoms and get better. That is 
so awesome. <laughs> so awesome because I hear from so many people who are experiencing pain mm-hmm. during, after sex, emotional struggles, physical struggles, and they feel so alone yeah. because they think that there is either something wrong with them or they think that this is the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. I cannot even tell you how many emails we get from women all over the world because we're present in more than 10 countries telling us, I've been experiencing excruciatingly painful sex for 10 years. And until two years ago, when I first like gathered the strength to go talk to someone, I thought that that was what it felt like. Mm. Because they didn't feel open to, you know, they didn't feel invited to talk about it with friends or with their parents, of course, or even when they went to the gynecologist. And there's so much stigma around it. It's like, oh, she's frigid. You know, as a woman, if you have painful sex, it's your frigid. And there's... Have a glass of wine. That's exactly. what I've heard people get told Loosen by their up. doctors even. It's like, <sighs> just just sip some red wine and relax. And certainly no. anxiety and stress can contribute. Yes. But that is just so offensive. It is offensive because we're not taken seriously. We're not being taken seriously as women with a condition that can be treated and that can have, it can come from multiple different factors from emotional stress to even like people that have been victim of abuse. They usually tend to gather a lot of um, sensitivity and tension in that area and that can be treated. But for us to treat it, we need to take people seriously and we need to feel them, make them feel comfortable to, to open up. And, you know, when you see this women, then find solutions, take charge, feel empowered to actually act on their health and and feel like they deserve to have a better sex life. And, and, and you see them transition and in, in bloom into now their empowered sexual selves. It's it's just magical. It's like black and white turning yes. into full color. It, mm. it is. so Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful transformation to go through when we when we go through those experiences like you mm-hmm. said oh my gosh wait a minute and you start to feel that growth and then to see it in other people and to see them walking differently and yeah. holding themselves differently mm-hmm. and i think those benefits go far beyond sex yeah absolutely it's a confidence thing too if you feel like you're in charge of your intimate and sexual health and like you're making empowered decisions and taking actions that ultimately contribute to your own well-being that is the biggest source of confidence ever. Yeah, yeah. So we have a question from a listener that ties very much into what you do with with BWOM and a wonderful answer from Dr. Megan Fleming at greatlifegreatsex.com. Lydia wrote this, I usually prefer intercourse over outside clitoral stimulation, but since having a baby over a year ago, I have pain almost every time I have sex from my husband's penis, but also when I use my vibrator. It either hurts right away or after and sometimes a lot. I've tried more lube. Is there anything else to do? Lydia, thank you so much for your question. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Lydia, great question. I think we don't talk about uh, the potential role of vaginal pain uh, nearly enough. And, and of course, the impact that that has on libido. I mean, how do we want that which is painful? As well as our, you know, our partners, because I can tell you in my experience, you know, it's the last thing partners want to do in any way is cause pain. And they can see it across, often they can see it across your face. And so, um, it's great that you're reaching out. And, you know, I first want to start by saying that it really is not uncommon, um, in general for women to have, uh, pain during intercourse. We refer to that as dyspareunia. Um, in fact, 45% of women at some point in their lives, do experience uh, painful penetration. But that in particular, after childbirth, um, 
there was a study recently in the International Journal of Sexual and Gynecology, and they found that certainly the first time, you know, resuming sex after having birth, giving birth, uh, nine out of 10 women had painful sex, and that more than one-fourth still reported painful sex over 18 months later. And so that seems like the exact spot that you're in uh, that's been a little bit over a year ago. And so, first of all, again, that sense of, you know, one in four women are likely in the same experience. And so, you know, the first thing I'm going to say to do is definitely reach out to your gynecologist and let them know because there are a number of common causes. Um, one could be, you know, if there was tearing of the perineum, um, you know, whether that again, was naturally or sort of they needed to do cutting that typically the episiotomy that, um, you know, when they, when they sew you back up, it's, there's something called like the husband stitch, which is just sort of purpose is to make your vagina actually a little bit tighter. And, you know, sort of the rationale is that it would be, you know, more pleasurable sex, uh, for, for both of you. And yet not all women know, or in a sense, consent to the husband stitch. And more importantly, um, you know, for some women that can create pain because it's, it's just that much tighter. Um, the other thing of course can be that because there was a tearing, um, that scar tissue or adhesion often develops and that in and of itself can also cause pain. And the third common, um, the third one is muscle spasm. And then I almost forgot to add in, uh, it's not uncommon that it might be low estrogen in the vagina. And the role of estrogen in particular is um, for the elasticity, right? That without low estrogen uh, sort of leads to thinning of the vulvar tissues and more likely to have tearing. So um, in terms of that, what the treatment option would be probably local topical estrogen um, if it was related to an estrogen deficiency. And if it had to do, and the sort of the other ones I've mentioned, both the husband stitch, scar adhesions, muscle spasms, all three of those typically um, are treated well with pelvic floor therapy. And the interesting thing about that is in most countries in the world that pelvic floor therapy after delivery of babies is sort of standard care, standard practice, and yet certainly not in the U.S. In fact, I've had two children myself. It wasn't even, you know, mentioned, and I've worked with lots of women where um, until they've had complications, even just on the side of prevention. Um, I've worked with many pelvic floor specialists, and, and they sort of say every woman would benefit after giving birth having some pelvic floor therapy. So, um, and again, for some women, that might be uncomfortable because it really is hands-on work. That being said, it can make a significant difference in terms of outcomes and aftercare and um you know, ultimately having pleasurable sex. So, um, and then another option also sometimes can be, they might, if there's a lot of scar tissue adhesions, they sort of, um, excise it, meaning they, they cut that out. But again, that can lead because it's still surgery to more, uh, scar tissue adhesions. So another thing often sometimes they do is a trigger point injection, um, you know, commonly with steroids and marcaine. So I just hope you're taking away from all of this that, First of all, you're not alone. A lot of women are in this boat, um, but that certainly sex should never be painful. Uncomfortable is one thing, but when, if it's painful, uh, always to stop and do things that do give you pleasure, like external clitoral stimulation. Um, and it makes sense that you prefer anything that doesn't cause pleasure and pain, that doesn't cause pleasure, sorry, doesn't cause pain and gives pleasure. Um, you know, that just makes of course, the most intuitive sense. Um, and so I really would say, you know, 
definitely reach out to your gynecologist and know that you're not alone and there are a lot of treatment options available and you and no other woman should in any way ever suffer in silence. So as always, please do let us know how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Again, she's at greatlifegreatsex.com. I loved what she had to say about really embracing the fact that these are real symptoms that, that are worthy of addressing. I cringed hearing the quote, husband stitch. Yes. We need a new name or mind frame around that one. But uh, <laughs> we love the husbands, but uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's your body. But it's interesting. This is what we were discussing before, how she said she, many women don't, are, are not asked for consent. It's just the way it's done, both when you're in labor and you're in your most vulnerable moment ever and you're caught without consent, which if the mother is conscious should be asked for consent period. That's it. And secondly, then you restitch them in a way without asking them what they want. Like what, how crazy it is that we are not at all. We've been deprived from any sort of power in the birth process, which is actually the moment where we should be the most empowered because it is our job to bring the baby. And of course you need to have all of that specialist assistance, but, but look what you just did. Exactly. I mean, you are magnificent and powerful. Exactly. And why are we being deprived of being a part of all of these decisions that are being taken around us without any sort of consent? Like that should not be allowed. That should not be happening. It seems like systematic things need to change. Mm -hmm. And it really does. How does this all relate to gender equality? Obviously, this is one one part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you can, I mean, I I think that gender equality um, issues trickle down in many ways and in many aspects of day-to-day lives that we have ended up, we've, we've just started interpreting as normal, but they're not. From the moment that, and as she was mentioning, uh, from the moment that we don't actually provide women with the right support they need after they have a baby to actually recover and, and, and help their bodies get back to full functioning. So women are just expected basically after this whole body and mind transformational experience to just magically bounce back and 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 then we're shamed if we don't whether Mm -hmm. it is for physical appearance or for sex and pleasure for your partner we're ashamed if we don't but we don't get any sort of support and as the doctor was was saying physical therapy for pelvic floor in other countries such as france which is the model that we're following also is a given after you give birth you get 10 to 20 sessions of physical therapy because it's going to help you restore your whole core and pelvic floor which has the function of making sure that all your organs in your pelvic area function properly and that you have an adequate sexual function so if we don't offer this support and then we shame women when they come up with a problem and try to talk to the doctors, which, by the way, happens to you. And I'd say if you don't get support by your OBGYN right away, go see a, a physical therapist because this is what they do every day. It's their core competence. And, and and find another doctor because a lot of times women go back to the doctors and say, oh, I'm still having incontinence. I'm still having pain. And they're like, well, you had a baby. No, like we need to take women seriously. We need to empower them so that through the entire pregnancy, birth, and postpartum process, they are in charge of everything that's happening because they deserve to be set up for success and to still be after motherhood, still have an active sexual life, still feel empowered and attractive and, and not just be this kind of like, you know, now you're a mom. That's all you have to do. Right. Right. And advocating for yourself sounds to be so important. And I could see 
if you really trust your doctor and you've been with the same doctor for a long time, it might be challenging to go, okay, now I need to find another doctor. But if they are not respecting those symptoms, Mm -hmm. they haven't learned yet. They haven't sought to learn yet. It's not a priority. It has, yeah, you have to find someone who, yeah. who will prioritize It's it. not a priority. That's that's what's been happening throughout all these years. Women's sexual well-being has not been prioritized. It's just not important enough for it to take the relevance it needs to have for women to actually get covered, get physical therapy covered, and, and get a an action plan, a roadmap of how to properly recover after. Mm. So we hear the term pelvic floor a lot. I think in our culture, we mostly hear it around yoga, mm-hmm. right? Could you just share some basic information for anyone who's like, okay, I kind of know there's like this stretch I can do. When you're talking about pelvic floor therapy, pelvic floor exercises, what do you mean? So uh, the pelvic floor um, is basically a hammock-shaped set of muscles that's in the base of your thorax. So And it goes from your pubic bone to your coccyx. And the main role is to, you know, uh, the sexual function. Uh, making sure that all your organs stay where they have to stay and function properly, and urinating. So um, so opening and closing of all the orifices we have. And when there's some sort of dysfunction, obviously all of this gets affected. And usually there's not just one isolated thing, but you need to look at the whole picture. And there's a lot of um, issues that are kind of like intertwined. Um, when we say physical therapies, there's some types of physical therapy that are, as the doctor was mentioning, more hands-on and require me myofascial massage, etc. Particularly when there's a hypertonic pelvic floor where there's a lot of tension, which is very common when there's cases of chronic pelvic pain or chronic sexual pain. But also the opposite, when you've just opened up to give birth and your whole muscle structure is a little bit debilitated, you need to be doing Kegel exercises, but also lengthening exercises. And there's also a lot of breath work that you can do that's going to help tonify um, the whole area. You need to also work on recovering your abdominals because your abdominals work together with your pelvic floor in holding all your organs together. So if your abdominals are weak, that's going to put more pressure on your pelvic floor, right? So it's all interconnected. There's also um, stretch, stretching and, and other types of movement-based exercises you can do to kind of like tonify the entire area. Posture is very, very important. If you're constantly hinging and and, and putting all the pressure there, it's not going to be good. Um, you also need to, we also need to basically know a lot about what not to do. So, you know, if you have a debilitated pelvic floor, don't do crunches because that's going to uh, increase the pressure on your thoracic box here. So you should be doing maybe hypopressive abdominal work, uh, which is a different technique that is not that well known, but it started to take a lot of. Uh, and you can science. find that on so on the app. Yes, you have. All it actually exercises. guides you through these. Are yes. they like videos or pictures or? It's images with audio guidance because a lot of the work is happening inside of the body. It's not like when you're doing a yoga or Pilates class when you can see the arms and legs moving. So for us, it's more important to show in pictures the posture and then guide the the contractions and the breath through an audio. And we have over 200 different exercises. So even when we talk about Kegel exercises, there's a lot of there's a lot of myths out there and it's because again, we don't get enough um, education and there's so many different types of Kegel exercises, there's many different postures you can take and they all are aimed at addressing different issues and at toning toning in different ways and there's a purpose to it. Um, There's also 
a lot of misinformation in terms of, oh, if you have painful sexes, do kegels. No, you need to really go see a specialist and see what's happening in your case. Because it might, it might be that you have a hypertonic pelvic floor and therefore need to relax and not do kegels at all because it's going to make it worse. So it's getting this um, overall assessment initially and getting a picture of where you stand and where your symptoms come from is going to really help you then choose the right path of treatment. Yeah, because it sounds like it's different for everyone. Yes. But all of these issues are fairly common. Mm -hmm. And so there are experts out there. And you were mentioning how there's so many different pieces. And I know sometimes people need to see a sex therapist Mm -hmm. and also pelvic floor therapist or, you know, different combinations of things. I think one of the beautiful things about that is the same way they can kind of all hurt each other and spiral out of control. They also spiral up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So every step you take is going to be positive. So if someone's feeling overwhelmed, it seems like baby steps would be important in knowing that like every step is valuable. Yes. And when we talk with uh, the physical therapists that create the contents for us and that work with us, they say specifically that many, many times, particularly when they treat severe cases. Um, We have a very good friend. Her name is Erin Jackson. She's an incredible women's health advocate. She had a case of chronic pelvic pain that was so severe that put her in, in a wheelchair. For years, she did not find a specialist that would help her. She ended up changing states to go find someone that would take A, her seriously, and B, found a way to work with her pain and with her brain, with the way her brain connected to the pain when you're expecting to her and your brain's already anticipating that. And how do we break that cycle so that you can actually do exercises that are going to help, you know, ease that area and relax it. And so it was a combination of very many different things. And even in the moments when I, I remember her telling me, even in the moments where she felt like it was never going to change and it I'm never going to, you know, get out of here and her physical therapist, who's one of our um, collaborators, she would always say, just take a baby step. This is what mm-hmm. we're going to do today. And then we're going to do this. And then we're going to do that. And now she's doing aerial yoga. And she's perfectly healthy and doesn't have a chronic uh, pain anymore. And it, there are solutions even mm-hmm. to the most severe cases. That's why it's so infuriating for us to hear how women are just being like, told, well, you have incontinence, well, you've had two babies, what do you expect? Yeah, well, there's I so many kind you. of jokes about it, too, uh-huh. like, oh, if you pee when you laugh, ha, 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 isn't that funny? It means that you had a baby. And it's like, no, no. it means <laughs> that you can get some help or exactly. you can get some treatment and things can get better. <laughs> I recently interviewed a bunch of women for this article on sexual pain, and it was the first time, it's for Live Strong, and it's not been published yet, but it was the first time that throughout the interviews, I was tearing up with every single one because The stories, both the level of pain and torment, really, Mm -hmm. that these particular women had gone through paired and compared to the place that they got to finally when they did get the right help. You know, after meeting so much resistance and Mm -hmm. people saying like, oh, it's just this infection, so I'll give you this kind of medication. Uh And then that medication not only doesn't work, but maybe causes other problems. And and to, to see how empowered they feel like I feel like they they come out of it just fiercer than ever absolutely what are some of the rewards that you have seen or are there any examples in addition to this person you just described just people who what can people look forward to if they do this work I think just what you were saying about the empowerment and the, the the being like if I've been through this and I've come out successfully and I basically had to take charge of the whole thing because 
you know, you realize that you're going to have to find a specialist that is also aligned with your values. Otherwise, the issue that you're suffering might not take the relevance that it should take, right? So after being through so much pain and then the freedom that they feel that they can do a lot of things that they could not before because they were so painful, the empowerment and the confidence in their bodies, which they did not have before. I've heard a lot of, this is another very interesting case, and she's actually a physical therapist that we also work with in New York and she had a very serious case of uh, pelvic pain too and she even being a specialist and she told us that the biggest hurdle for her was forgiving her body for all the pain it had caused her and therefore the emotional pain because all of these issues are so sensitive and they're so tied to your you know your emotions your self-worth your ability to relate to others so imagine the impact it has and and that's why we're so passionate about it. It's like, we have to take it seriously. It really yeah. does have a lot of impact. And her hearing her tell her story and saying, I, I I, don't think I still have fully forgiven my body because all of my 20s, I was in pain. And that's the moment where you're supposed to be exploring your sexuality. This yeah. is the type of impact yeah. that this hush, hush, don't ask, don't tell type of issues have. That's why it's so important that we open up the doors to communication. Yeah, yeah. And healing that relationship yes. with self, that forgiving your body. That's a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful message. And also knowing that these systematic problems are not your fault. Yeah. So all the shame that you might feel is derived from these other problems. Mm -hmm. You are not the problem. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. How has all of this work influenced your own life? I know you said it, it helped you see areas that you hadn't yeah. explored yet. Oof. <laughs> it's it it has influenced my life in many ways. I've really found um, the more I learn about it, the more we expand to other female health issues that we want to include into our programs, the more conversations I have with people that are suffering in silence and that they feel neglected, the more I want to do it. Um, I've, I've found a mission for me personally and professionally on one hand. And then on the other hand, like I was saying before, it's really pointed out to me how many biases? It's funny because I don't judge others. That's great. I, I love seeing how other people feel free to explore whatever it is that they want to explore. But it made it so palpable how I was still, I had an understanding, a vision, and a life experience that was very forward-thinking and modern. And deep inside, I was still judging myself and I was running my actions in relation to sexuality and relationships according to a framework that was installed in me when I was very, very little and that did not apply to the reality of my life. So I had to really start asking myself difficult questions. Like, is it really, you know, um, do you really only, like from the very basics of, do you really only like men or have you been led to believe that because you're a woman, you're supposed to um, mm -hmm. like men? Okay, one question. Next question, do you really like sex only in the shapes and forms that you've had it so far? Or are there other things that you haven't explored because you feel like you're going to be less worthy as a woman if you allow yourself to explore them? So the worthiness was there all the time. That was the leitmotiv. It was, if I want to do this and this, is a man still going to love me if they know that I've tried it? You know, with the king stuck, for instance, or... Just with whatever that you want to explore. There's a community very close to where I live in Bushwick, a polyamorous community. They do a lot of events. I've never been to one yet, but they live in a polyamorous 
type of relationship where they're all interrelated to each other and you know there's like a a very specific you can be type in love with one person and married and to another. another person and have exactly. three lovers who you're committed to yeah. exactly and so those things presented me with challenges it challenged all of my belief system it is core shaking it really mm. is it really makes you think why you know like, who like, am i who and am what I? what does any of this mean exactly yeah. who yeah. am i what does this mean for me am i just settling for what was told to me early on that i had to be or is it really what i prefer so you have to ask yourself all of those questions and it's really mind boggling it's it's really confusing and i don't have all the answers yet but i feel like now that i've seen a lot of options and that i've you know, seeing people with completely different ways of experiencing their sexuality and feeling at ease and comfortable with it and empowered. I know that I'm also more empowered to actually make decisions, but still because of how much women's worth is tied to the way they utilize and express their sexuality, I know that I'm still affected by that bias that a man will not love me if I do certain things. And because I think that it's still like that uh, to a certain extent. I know that the expression of, oh, she's girlfriend material, she's not girlfriend material still exists. And that is my other mission. The day I eradicate that, I'll be happy. Yeah, is this girlfriend or wife? Exactly. Uh, Is this just like for a while or is this wife material? What are you talking about? A woman's inner worth has nothing to do with how she expresses her sexuality. Or how many partners or la-da-da-da. Yeah, it's so interesting. And what you just described resonated so much with me because those questions I think are how we build sexual empowerment and Mm -hmm. I think that's what the sexual empowerment I call it the girl boner journey Mm -hmm. is it's like asking yourself those questions and actually in my my girl boner book at the end of each chapter it has those questions Mm -hmm. like lots of different questions on different topics and stuff like that and I think it's journaling is such a beautiful way to address them because you may not feel quite as judged if you're opening it up to a piece of paper, you Mm -hmm. know, like it it helps you see things. But what's beautiful too, is I think it can be scary to think, oh my gosh, what if I realize that I'm like a really kinky polyamorous or maybe I'm lesbian or maybe I'm this, or maybe I'm that all these things that just seem really um, drastically different from how you have identified. Uh Um, If that turns out to be the case, once you get there, it won't feel scary at all. You'll feel authentic. Uh And the other thing that may happen is you, ask yourself all these questions and you realize, you know what? I'm super, um, quote, vanilla. I'm very monogamous. I love it. You'll just love it more. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, and that's great too. And there's no shame there either. Yeah. Yeah. And that's who I am. And I think that's what's happened to me in terms of relationships. Like I've tried to fit into the model of more like loose dating, non-exclusive here and there. And then at some point I was like, you know what? When I really have strong feelings for someone, I do not wish to sleep with anyone else. I do not wish, like I devote my romantic time within my schedule to Mm -hmm. that person and my thoughts and my feelings and and that's how I am and I was trying to push my limits and you know in some experiences recently and I realized that my body was rejecting it I was not comfortable with it and even though I could intellectually understand that there were other ways my feelings were not matching up so I was like you know what this is I've tried to push myself I've tried to experiment and that was authentic today, to you. Exactly. And, but now you can better embrace who you are without wondering yeah. so much and mm-hmm. and staying open and yeah. respecting other people's choices, which I Absolutely. think is so important. That's what sure. I think it's the most important part. It's really respecting people to to, you know, choose for themselves. So tell people where they can find you. I know you are very active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My Instagram handle is at in Lower Dash Cider Star. 
we'll spell it because it's a little bit of a weird one. <laughs> I'll tag you. So if you guys go awesome. to August McLaughlin, you can also find her very easily. Yeah. <laughs> and then BWAM is at, at Hello BWAM. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And your website? It's www.b-wom.com. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for the work you do. Thank you so much for having me. Would you share just one last piece of advice to leave listeners with? What would you love for people to know about whatever challenges they may be experiencing in their sexuality? I think that what's the most, if, if there's one message that I want everyone to live with today is no matter how common it is what you're going through, because you're not alone, you're not the only one, it is not your new normal. It doesn't have to become your normal. You have resources. There are specialists that can help you. You um, are worth seeking those solutions and and demanding them. And so whether it's sexual pain, incontinence, whether it's emotional stuff related to your sexuality, seek help because this is your life. It's your sexuality and nobody's going to, you know, enjoy or do it for you. So take charge of it and be unapologetic about it. So powerful and important. I hope you all take that to heart. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. You can also subscribe on Spotify. For more extras, head over to augustmclaughlin.com. There'll be a follow-up blog with links to BWOM and all kinds of other goodness. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.